Welcome in to Athletes Unplugged. I'm your host, Aquel Jackson. And today joining the show is Dion Jones. He's a musician. He's a singer slash songwriter out of the Los Angeles area. His work has been featured in Rolling Stones, the magazine. He's been uh, in Ebony Magazine, Power 100 list. And every time he performs, the crowd gets bigger and bigger to a sold out capacity. And he's here to talk about his journey as a newfound musician and thriving in this entertainment space. So with that, Dion, thanks for joining the show, brother. I appreciate I'm it. I'm to be here, big bro. This is exciting. Yes. Yeah. Man, that camera is sharp, bro. Now you see what I was like, no, I got yeah. it. That camera is sharp. It's wrong with it. It's wrong with it. Yeah. So the quarantine, the quarantine hat. So normally anytime I have a guest on, I always start, you know, with their upbringing and, you know, kind of give a family history. But I want to do something different with you, if that's all right with you. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to start, you know, the summer of 2020. Obviously, you know, it's the middle of COVID. A lot of people lost jobs. A lot of people lost their loved ones. And the world was just, you know, it took us all by storm. And in the midst of all of that was the George Floyd incident. We all can remember of an innocent, unarmed black man being brutally murdered at the hands of a police officer. And what came about after that was this this tidal wave of protests. And you were one of those people to protest. And me personally, I wasn't. We'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to start there in terms of, you know, why it was so important for you to get out and protest, because obviously it was about, you know, social injustice and and inequality and those types of things. So in your words, if you could tell me, you know, just how important why you went out to uh, to protest during the summer of 2020. Yeah, a couple of reasons. One, I think we were all just impacted by that video. And those of us particularly who are black, you know, seeing that on the heels of Trayvon Amar and Mike Brown, um, Sandra Bland, et cetera, who um, had been killed by the sort of the hands or in, in, in capacity of the state in some way. Obviously, Sandra Bland right. died in prison, uh, in jail. Uh, but um, we had already been so traumatized and affected by that, that obviously all of us were feeling something inside. And I live downtown LA. And so a lot of the protests uh, started downtown here. Uh, and particularly Black Lives Matter LA, every Wednesday, even before 2020 happened, every Wednesday, they were in front of City Hall, you know, demanding justice on behalf of a lot of the families here in LA and LA County, and also uh, demanding that we get a new uh, DA. So our DA that year, uh, Jackie Lacey, had also got kicked out of office by the movement. So fast. So, so we had sort of already felt that. And so being downtown and during that time, um, and hearing people outside, you know, calling and chanting for a better America, for a better society, um, that stuck with you, like, and you can hear it, but are you going to decide to sit on the couch or are you going to go out there and join? Now, right. I know many people have their reasons of how they joined and didn't join, but for me, you know, I thought about movements any particular civil rights movement, you know, 
although yes we had elders who were leading you know the people who were in the streets when you think about the birmingham campaign of 1963 you think about albany i think in 1960 albany georgia uh you think about freedom summer in 1964 in mississippi those right. were 20 year olds and college students <laughs> right, right. under 30 and i think about those young folks who were out there changing society right and so right. i equated sort of what I could do based on what they were able to do. Right. And then the last thing, you know, I thought about, you know, my future children. I thought about King. I thought about, yeah. you yeah. know, nieces, nephew, my niece, um, and young folks who will ask me one day when right. they went history, did you remember that and what did you do? And I remember my grandmother, I asked her, has she ever marched with Dr. King? And mm. she did one... I mean, probably any black person over 60 would probably say they did, but <laughs> but she she uh, went to Mississippi Valley State and she did. And I knew she wasn't telling the story, telling a lot because um, Dr. King, when uh, James Merrill, the first man who um, who integrated the University of Mississippi, had his uh, No Fear March and he got shot on that No Fear March uh, and he, didn't wow. know he got shot. Dr. King came to, to the Delta in Mississippi to join, to finish his march. And my grandmother was in college at time in the Delta. Wow. And wow. wow. he was able to tell me, yes, I was there. And so I thought about what am I going to be able to tell my children, my grandchildren? I'm going to be able to say, yes, I was there and I was out there doing it. So that's sort of those reasons together is what sort of catapulted me to like walk out my door, put my shoes on and join the march. Yeah, that, that's great. That it, all, It's always great to have some context to why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I bring I bring all of that up. I know some people may say, why, why would you start there? But I bring all of that up because in your words, I want you to tell, you know, it actually that moment, you had a traumatic moment to happen that we've heard a lot of stories throughout that summer of traumatic moments, traumatic events that just will, will carry on forever that are everlasting. But you had a unique story because you had a traumatic experience, but you were able to to just, you know, you have a story of resilience and perseverance. Can you talk about the days of May 29th and May 30th that affected your life and projected you on this new journey into music? Yeah. Uh, so on May 29th, um, I was out marching with some friends, ended up getting arrested that night and going to jail <laughs> mm. uh, and just remember that experience being put on a literal cage on a bus. Wow. On a share of bus. For uh, protesting. For protesting. Taking, taking, the, taking the bus downtown to the precinct uh, and sitting in jail, you know? Uh, so I remember that, you know, ended up getting out and going to the sort of the larger march that everybody sort of knew about on May 30th, which was in Pan Pacific Park here in LA. Um, and, you know, again, reminding you of moments that you learned about in history, just movements in general, you know, a rainbow of people, ages, races, creeds, religions mm -hmm. coming together uh to join the movement for black lives uh right. ended up being stopped by a police line and barricade and it sort of you know got crazy uh as we were trying to me and the folks i came uh person i came with as we were trying to leave uh we find ourselves in the uh trader joe's parking lot and as we find mm -hmm. ourselves in the trader joe's parking lot 
Um, to make a long story short, uh, I ended up getting shot uh, by the police uh, with a rubber bullet in my face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, can I interject for one? Did you know it was a rubber bullet at the time, or were you just in such shock? I've never been hit by a rubber bullet. I've been, you know, around it when yeah. I was in Maryland, when Maryland would be Duke, but it was like a college atmosphere. But I remember being in that moment and just hearing the shots fire. Mm-hmm. I thought people were getting shot. Yeah. So I, it was traumatic for me then. So to actually get hit, uh, you know, what's going through your mind at that point? Yeah. So the night before uh, the police were shooting rubber bullets. So I was I, I was familiar with Mm-hmm. The, uh, the gun and the projectile in itself and the sound of it. And that still didn't deter you from showing up the next day and and, and protesting. And Yeah, protesting. yeah, because I thought about, and, and just a quick on that, because I thought about, you know, one, I didn't think that because right. of the, of the, um, the particular planning that went around the, the protest on Saturday and kids were there and Older right. people were there, and right. et you didn't think that the police was going to act as crazy as they had been. <laughs> Got it. Uh, and so, so I was a little bit familiar with 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 what rubber bullets were um, and what the machine looked like. What was mm-hmm. interesting for me is I actually saw the police officer aim at me. Oh wow! See him aim at me. Oh, wow, try to move quickly, and that's actually how I got hit. Uh, where I got hit because. I tried to move my face and then it hit me in, in the side more mm. so than more so than it could have, you know, hit me in my eye or something like that. Right. So I, I still process the, the, the small blessings of the small blessings within the seconds of, mm-hmm. of that day. Um, I still saw the process and I find new ones every time I sort of talk about it. Right. Uh, I just did right then. Uh, so uh, so yeah, so I knew that, and so it hit. It, I get hit. I immediately feel it, and then there was a strong ringing in my head. And never being hit in that capacity, I always tell people like, think about the person who hated you the most and had you tied up to a chair and just like hitting you with a metal pipe in your face. Like whatever that feeling is, it's probably worth yeah. it, right? right? And so. Wow. Um, and so there was this ringing in my head. And so what I thought is that the ringing was a ringing to unconsciousness and possible death. And so I remember saying, God, like, do not let me die here. Do not let me die here. I remember saying that. And then my friend, the Yara, ends up grabbing me. And we end up sort of skewing through a um, little alleyway and find ourselves on the outside premises of the um, sort of shopping sort of area and then I finally collapse. And then that mm. uh that's when I sort of gained the idea of what even sort of happened at that at that moment. Oh my gosh. So yeah. that that's traumatic. I mean, listen, uh I know a lot of people protested and from what you told me, it looked like a peaceful pro you have kids, old people, you know, just a collection of of people, you know, yeah. marching for a common commonality. And yeah. for you to get hit the way you did and actually see the officer, you know, aim the weapon at you, I, I can imagine being in that moment and going through that. Yeah. But so that happens, right? So you're in the hospital, you have to go through rehab, and you, mm-hmm. I'm sure you probably had to speak to someone because that's a such yeah. a traumatic experience. But yeah. let's let's position to what, what happens next. At that moment, you know, uh, if you could talk about your relationship with Glenn, and I'll... 
I don't want to mess up his last name. Is it Kano? Kano? Kaino. Kaino. So Kaino. No. So Kai. No. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yep. So talk to if you can tell me how that. Obviously, I I know the backstory with you guys' uh, friendship and working yeah. relationship. You know, at what point from being hit, getting hit, protesting, being in the hospital, dealing with such a traumatic moment. Did you realize what did you got when you guys realized, OK, how do we make something out of this? Because that could have easily been a defining moment for you in terms of protesting and standing up for what's right. But instead, unlike many other people, listen, you have a unique ability to find to be in a moment. How did you find this next moment of you becoming an artist? Because that's. Yeah. What um, so. So two things to that. So one, like, so Glenn is is like a surrogate father to me. And I think that I've had great, strong mentors. Uh, and I think for me, growing up, um, although I I although I am committed to doing work with my actual father, um, he and I have never had a relationship. Um, and I've had strong male mentors in my life. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is that before I met Glenn, what I found is that because of me not having a father, I was trying to find fathers in all of those strong male mentors, uh, even even though that their only capacity in my life was to be my mentor and not to be a father figure, even though they had father uh, character, fatherly characteristics. Got it. I think I was trying to grasp hold of that. Um, over the past seven years with my relationship with Glenn, uh, he is the closest thing to a father that I've ever had in my life. And so I call him my father, brother, friend. Uh, <laughs> Because he's sort of not old enough to really be my father. Yeah, and, I, and I haven't figured out exactly. <laughs> you can't put him in the box. What is he like a conceptual artist? He's a conceptual artist. Conceptual yeah, yeah, art. yeah. Because and just the most one of the most brilliant men, men I know. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so that day when it happened, as soon as it happened. Um, I checked in with him as my father versus, you know, this creative collaboration, the relationship sure. that we had all the time. Yeah. And then he checked in with me as his son. Right. Well, we have we have actually dissected, you know, the evolution of our relationship um, pretty clearly. And uh, and the way that that I was able to characterize um that really able to characterize that relationship even now the way I am is because what I've realized over the past seven years and particularly now as because I'm middle when I was 23, 24, uh, and I just turned 30. Um, what I have been able to particularly now is that all of my my time, all of my time with him, um my dreams became his dreams. Mm. And I think that's for, for any father, your dreams become your kids' dreams and any way you're able to help them achieve those, you will. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and, I can t- and I know I can just talk to him about anything, uh, the same way I can talk to you about anything. And so fast forward, um, 
so that day that was happening and we were really just focused on the healing process in the beginning but at the time Glenn was working on one of the most important uh, exhibitions of his career at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art that he had really been working on since 2018. Wow. Uh, uh, and even actually before 2018, because it was actually supposed to open. Uh, oh, wow. Sure. And uh, in, in sort of during the pandemic. So he had been working on it for a very long time. And um, 2020, obviously the pandemic sort of messed some things up, uh, delayed some things. And so um, we was, he was still sort of building it and things were changing. And obviously this moment, as many moments have happened in he and our creative relationship, the moments of the time changed the direction mm. of whatever we're working on. As you know, with our Tommy Smith documentary, it changed. Right. When we started on it, Colin Kaepernick hadn't even taken, taken a knee. Right. So that's so the, like right. you sort of adjust to what's happening. And so this is happening as he is, you know, creating and forming an exhibition around uh, the two uh, sort of most significant international protests of our time, which is Selma and Selma um, Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, and then yes. Bloody Sunday in Derry, Northern Ireland. So yes. as you're, you're creating, you know, things for this exhibition, you know, we're now living in a time where America's and the world is sort of having a racial reckoning. Right. And so one of the parts of, and so part of the dairy, um, the dairy Northern Ireland piece is YouTube and Bono had recorded the song at that time called Sunday Bloody Sunday. And it's a rocker right. song and Bono um, sung it at Live Aid and it's just a beautiful yeah. song. Beautiful song. And, and one of the things that um, when it happened, when I got injured, it was already planning that like, wow, what a great idea if we were able to get, you know, Bono and I don't want to say the other artists on the, on the, on the thing, but maybe get, you know, Bono and another artist to redo this song. Right. And um, that was like the original plan. Um, and when I was injured uh, a few months later, uh, Glenn called me, said, you know, I talked to the museum, I talked to the team, and we all believe that you should sing this song. And, wow. and, um, and I had already been trying to, like, sort of figure out my, you know, my journey as an artist. Um, right. I don't think I never, I don't think I was never, I, I don't think I was not ever an artist. I think mm -hmm it was when was I actually going to step into it? Right. You know? Right. And so I was around 2018, I had began even think as I'm working on my um, debut album now, really begin to think about sort of some of the themes that I'm exploring in 2018. And then just life happens and you try to stay in the lane that is comfortable right. for you. Right. Um, and then something traumatic like this happens and you yeah. get the opportunity to do it. And so I said, yes. And so Glenn calls a legendary producer named Butch Vig, who uh, is legendary from Nirvana. And Butch said, well, can he sing? And uh, Glenn puts him on FaceTime, and I literally sing for Butch Vig. And Butch wow. goes, whoa, he is amazing. And so Butch agrees to produce the track for me. What, what song was it? Did you sing in any particular song? Or? I actually think I saw Sunday Bloody Sunday. Actually, <laughs> Did I you really? Yeah. Uh, I think I sung the first verse, the first verse, uh, but I sung it in the way that 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 I would sing it. I didn't sing right. it in the right way, right. and so 
Uh, so I sing the song. Uh, Butch agrees to produce it. And then he says, well, we need a piano player to do wow. it. And so I was like, well, John knows what I'm doing. John Batiste knows what I'm doing. He knows I'm working on this music thing. And I was like, well, let me see if I call John and just see what he says. Wow. And so so for everyone who knows, John Batiste is an Academy Award winning composer who's now everyone should know who he is now. He's blown up for his musical um, talent. So, yeah, I'll let you carry on. Grammy Awards, album of the year. Yes. Just blown yes. up right now, you know, and I love him so much for, for this yes that he gave me. So I cold call him mm-hmm. and I let him know what I'm doing. And he says yes on the phone. Oh, and, wow. um, what was that moment like? Now, yeah. now you have a guy that's you have all the moving parts in place. Yeah. You're coming off of such a traumatic moment. This is your moment. Yeah. This yeah. is your moment. I, I can only imagine what was going through your mind at that point. And listen, I mean, no one likes to everyone likes to get their career started, but in this fashion, I mean, it's just a, just a remarkable story as you're telling, but I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, no. I, so that, so he says, yes. And um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, cause, cause I, I, there are a lot of these moments to the story. So they'll be able to answer the question towards the end at the, me telling this. So he says, yes. Uh, then, so we can, okay, we off to the races. Right. And so, I sing the song, so we so he says yes. Butch puts the team together. He and Glenn for me to go into East West Studios, which is a legendary studio mm. here in Los Angeles. Um, and I go into this huge room where Frank Sinatra and Dionne Warwick and all of these folks have recorded in the same room. Wow. I use the the microphone Ooh. that um, that. Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on. Oh and, um and the and the switchboard also that was where Quincy Jones mixed thriller that the oh used. That's and, a hit factory. Yeah, it's a hit, it's a literally a hit factory. And um and I brought my cousin in to um, you know, vocal produce me. And there's a there's an incredible uh there's an incredible um clip of um Steven Sondheim and Elaine um I'm gonna forget I think it's Streicher but she's no. in the studio uh singing the ladies who lunch for mm. Steven Sondheim's company and wow. Steven Sondheim is like they're in New York and her voice was tired she was older she's not wasn't the greatest singer but mm. It, she has to sing this song. Right. And there was a day where she was just, you know, she wasn't getting it. She wasn't getting it. She wasn't getting it. And she, but she was so determined. Like mm-hmm. I, this is the greatest thing that I will probably ever do. I am committed to getting this right. Right. And, you know, I'm just used to singing and there we go. And right. so I, Glenn was like, another take, another take. Do so me. Glenn produced, Glenn was producing. Yeah, Glenn produced, Glenn's right. producing me. Another thing, I have my cousin there. Wow. And and I sing this song, and it became it. It's one of the most it beautiful took, things. It took and, off. And and sing the song, send to John. John plays it, plays over me singing, adds his own solo to it. <laughs> then it comes back, and we're like, whoa, blown away, blown away. And then so the last piece of that is. 
we ended up taking that song and then making a video that Larry the video is powerful. I've seen that video multiple times. That video is powerful. And I didn't realize the cage, which can symbolize a jail, you trapped, mm-hmm. and come to find out it's actually an instrument. Yes, the, instrument. the creativity in that video from Glenn is just off the charts once you dive deep into it. Yeah, that plays that plays the actual song. And Larry right. Fong directs it, who's done 300. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman or Superman, all these things. Uh, and we are guided, I think, by a common cause. And this is this is the, the to just to to the to, to sort of just wrap it wrap it up in a in a very powerful way. There was a guy on the set. And so and then also like Amy Clemens like was my acting coach. Um mm-hmm. so there was a guy on the set. And he, Larry, Larry Fong was like, cause you know, COVID, Larry was like, y'all have this guy who just wants to come and help out. He was really inspired by the story. Um, and he happened to be John Lewis's nephew. Get out of here. Yes. Are and you so kidding Lewis me? John had two drawings that he did of me injured and John Lewis, just John Lewis. And John Lewis, as many people know, at that time was dying of cancer. Right. And happened to be John Lewis' nephew. And and I've known John Lewis since I was 16. He's like, yo, I'm John. I'm here with Dion and Glenn. We're doing this video, et cetera. So we make this beautiful thing. And you ask, what did it feel like for to get the yes from John, to get the yes from Butch Vig, to get the yes from a Larry Font, for Glenn to bring all these together, not only as my you know, father, brother, friend, but as someone who truly believes in me. He as believes a, in you. Yeah, who right. believes in me as an artist. Um, it finally, it was the first step to me stepping into God's dream for me. Mm. And I say that God's dream for me is because if it is his dream for you, then the yeses will come. And that's what I found. Although there will be no's. But the yeses will be the yeses that you deserve. The meaningful yes. Yeah. And I always say that God doesn't write our stories from the beginning to the end, but from the end to the beginning. So when he said it is finished on the cross, that means the life is already figured out. Mm -hmm. So the idea that for me is I go into situations in expectation of the yes, but knowing if I get the no, that that wasn't for me. Right. Right. That's amazing. amazing. So, yeah, so that's sort of like how it just felt that I was that God is this is what I'm supposed to be doing because the yeses are here. Yeah. And if and it sounds like there was no doubt you weren't going to step into this new space that you've always wanted to pursue. Exactly. It just so happened. It took some traumatic experience to 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 align everything for you to step into it and take off. Exactly. So speaking of speaking of taking off, I grabbed off, the moment. I grabbed yeah, the moment. You grabbed the moment. You chokehold that moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grabbed the moment. Yeah. So so now you know you were here at the house last week, and we had a chance to talk and catch up, which was great. Always great seeing you. And we went down this rabbit hole of man. Now you're touring. Now you're you're you're, you're you were featured in the museum, and now you got the buzz going. And, and let's I want to want everyone to understand this. You have only recorded, you got into the studio for the very first time to start recording your album was last year. Mm-hmm. This is this all happened in a matter of two years. Yeah. And you've had such a trajectory in the music industry. 
And I remember, um, I'll touch on that a little bit later, but so what what happens after that? So now now you got the pub, you have you have the momentum. Now it's about, you know, getting your name out, performing in front of different audiences. Yeah. And for what, you know, I followed you from the very beginning. Everywhere I see you perform, there's a lot of people showing up. Yeah. And your message slowly is trickulating through this undercurrent of people with this message of you have a this sort of rock, uh, soul and gospel tone that mm-hmm. resonates with a lot of people. And you have a story behind it. Yeah. And you have your brand behind it. Yeah. What's next? What's next for you? Like, is there a tour coming up? I know you're working yeah. on the album right now, correct? Yes, yeah, so I'm working on the album. How, so you're how right. much can you talk about the album without telling the whole, you know, whatever you're comfortable with? Yeah, no, I, 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 what I'm exploring right now is, um, so, so, you know, Revival Lives. Uh, let me fuck up this thing. Uh, so I'm going to just sort of talk about the, so Revival Lives, not Revival, not so Sunday Bloody Sunday lives from the video through the fall. And through, and it's still living. It's living. But like the idea that I was, you know, I performed at Performa. Uh, and so I did my first live uh, version of Sunday Blaze Sunday for them, which is a premier, you know, sort of art institution. Uh, then the video got placed in Mass Mocha inside of Glenn's exhibition that he put in. And it's the last thing that people see as they go through this already powerful emotional exhibition. The last thing you see, it brings it to the now um, with, um, the, with, the, with the piece in there as well. And up until this point, oh, probably a half of, to this point, a half a million people have seen that video. Uh, if not more. And so I'm in Mass Mocha, the largest contemporary art museum in North America, a place that's not only known for uh, their exhibitions, but it's also a magical perform performance, performing arts center as well. So I'm in this one of the most prestigious museums in the country, uh, in the world, actually. Uh, and um, so as this is happening, I am deliberately now pursuing that idea from 2018 right. revival, right? And so right. January 2021 comes, I go into the studio and begin to record. Uh, and this idea that I'm exploring is what revival really means and um, how can we find that within ourselves as many people have tried to find true freedom coming out of the pandemic, coming out of the evolutions and the transformations that a lot of people, personal transformations that a lot of people have had uh, during uh, the pandemic. And I took the idea from me growing up in church and seeing people get Jesus in this small town, but these same folks who were in church getting Jesus and the Holy Ghost were the same folks who were going to the climax and doing all kinds of crazy shit up in there. (laughs) And it's no different than the person who's going to the circuit party or the diff person who, you know, is having the sexual, amazing sexual experience. But what, it, what all right. those experiences are, are people getting their fix in the way right. for them to feel renewed, reviving, that they can go on and 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 live another week if, if needed, right? And right. so what I realized is that 
most revivals outside of church are suppressed. So this because dominant society uh, tells us what's profane and what's sacred. And so because we have a fear of being judged of who we really are, we suppress those feelings in order to get our true revivals. And so this idea that I'm exploring in my album is what does it look like for us not to suppress that and allow our true intentions, our true feelings, our true wants, and our truly things that we need to get our fix to rise up within us in order for us to, to be our freest self. And that's what revival really is. And yeah. so um, the songs that I'm writing and are exploring uh, are either personal revivals that I have myself or ones that I have ex have seen via other people. Uh, and I'm bringing back I'm bringing back some the interludes with some cool folks with some cool. Yeah. Folks. Yeah. I'm excited. So, yeah. And, and, the, la and the, the other thing that I'll just say um, around why I feel um, not only I think the hand of God in this, but why I feel it's resonating with folks is because I remember my first big live show, which was in June of 2021. Um, it was the first time a lot of people had been seeing live music since the pandemic. Sure. There was a lot of emotion around that. Right. Um, but people are searching for, people are searching to not go back to being the same person they were pre-March 2020. Right. Or they're trying to explore this new person that they've become, or they're trying to figure out who am I? Cause I'm actually really scared of this new person. Uh, mm -hmm. But what people are really searching for is internal peace and freedom. And that, I think right. that's what we all really want as human beings. Right. And right. so I can um, push that through my music. I think that's what's resonating with people. And I think that's why, you know, even most recently, you know, I've been selling out museums and, you know, 10,000 people in arenas and stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, think that's what, I think that's what's resonating with, with folks. Got it. Do, do you ever feel like it happened too quickly? Do you ever feel like that? You feel like you're in your moment and you never you never look, you know, when you reflect like, man, a lot has happened in a short period of time. Like, why me? Do you ever, you know, go down I, that rabbit hole? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't do the why. I don't do the the why. Maybe I used to probably do the why. The new you want is not even. Bad happened. <laughs> I don't really do the do the why me. I don't really do the, even the, when th bad things happen or things that I'm mm. not a fan of happen. I don't really do the why me anymore because I believe that uh, things don't happen to you; they happen for you. Mm. And so, um, so I really believe that. Uh, and it, do I think things sort of happen too fast? And I actually think they happen at the right time. Mm. I mean, we talked before we even you know when we were setting this up. Um, I, I thought about uh, when you said part of it was going to touch on like even just some of the things that I did in the past. And mm -hmm. even when I think about, because I did think about like, well, should I have started this sooner? Should I have? Yeah. This yeah. Before? And I realized that every experience that I had, had has prepared me in some way for the moment that I have now, because I am very much, I know who I am at the right. core and I'm right. grounded in that. Uh, and I'm also one of those, and I'm really grounded. And what grounds me in that is that, you know, I'm a fervent, like, spiritual person, even though I don't yeah. sing gospel music, but, like, I'm a spiritual person. And um, and I'm also in that when I pray, I'm actually a person who 
listens and heeds to what is told to me versus you know should I do it right so I so so um so so I don't think I think everything prepared me and every experience prepared me for the most and I see it show up in different ways not only if I'm like through the art but just through the business around being an artist as well and right. what's yeah, so so how did the partnership with Puma come about? I, I'm I'm assuming it obviously you had that relationship through Tommy Smith and working with Absolutely. him and getting the film uh, up and going because I I didn't know this beforehand, but I realized you have a partnership with Puma that you have they have a, a YouTube yeah channel yeah uh, titled Is Anyone Listening? And yeah. uh, so this is what I want to again. This show is intended to give everyone their flowers while they're doing it. And I love to try to catch people on the rise. And I feel like you encapsulate all of that, what I want to do with this podcast. So I have to give you flowers before I get to my question in terms of a lot of you've had a I feel like you're different from a lot of other musicians because obviously you're extremely talented, right? You can sing your ass off, you're a performer, you embody it. You are an artist. And the one thing that I feel like cr gives you the credibility is because you've worked in this space prior to in the corporate world and the policy side of things in DC here. And that's how we've known to know each other. And you have this platform now and you're, you're kicking down the doors and you, you live what you, what you, what you talk about and what you sing about is very, it comes from a very genuine place. I know that about you. Yeah. So let me go back to my original question. How did, did after the the Sunday Bloody Sunday, you being, um, you know, partner with Glenn, being at the uh, Mass Mocha uh, Museum, how did that parlay this partnership with Puma? Yeah, so they so they had this platform called Reform that started mm -hmm. with Tommy and Meek Mill um, mm -hmm. and and Skylar Diggs. Um, okay in 2018, which was the 50th anniversary of Tommy's um, salute. And so they started reform, started this piece called Anyone Is Listening, really at the beginning with their uh, folks who were already connected to the brand, speaking about the issues that they cared about. And they approached me, they was like, yo, I have this, idea. we have this idea. We really wanna elevate what this is we really want to begin to bring in other folks and sort of amplify these conversations in a way that relates to folks everyday life uh and how do they live uh to make the world a better place for the everyday um and that's sort of what i was very sort of interested in as well because i was i never wanted to be boxed in and i hate being boxed in uh and i always say like once I got shot in the face, people just automatically called me an activist, no matter whatever else I had. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I don't be, I believe activism. There is, you know, there is a different thing with what I do versus what a Tamika Mallory or a Latasha Brown or Brittany Packnett and others may do right. or a Melina Abdullah and folks in the streets. Right. Um, and I believe there's there is a role in a different activism that all of us can play to push the agenda forward. Right. Uh, and I think if we look at the history of movements, it takes people in multiple industries to do that. No doubt. No uh, doubt. And so for me, um, when they approached me with it, I really wanted to 
talk to folks around their everyday practice and how their everyday practice actually helps push the movement forward. Right. So what I'm talking through June Ambrose and how she's transforming the way women see themselves, right. uh, and particularly black women see black women see themselves who are athletic, who are on the court, who are you know particularly the WNBA NBA particularly, you right. know how they can you know use fashion to really make a statement. Right. Right. Um, I talked to Glenn obviously through his work as a conceptual artist and the exhibitions that he has and anybody who's seen the exhibition at Mass Mocha know how monumental it is. How is that by in the middle of Derry, Northern Ireland, <laughs> I mean, not Northern Ireland, but in the middle of uh, North Islands, Massachusetts, yeah. where, you know, if you can find some black folks, let me know. <laughs> right. Folks who are not black come and see this show and then see me at the end. What's the intention around that? And how does that, how does that change their perspective of how they right. make their movements, right? Uh, and so I try to have these conversations with folks who may not actually be on the ground, but in other ways are using their platform and using their work to push the movement forward. And I think that's important to see because when people say, oh, I'm not an activist, well, you actually are. You're just doing right. it the same way. Same right. way who's, using, who's funding the movement, you know, it's really important also to have those folks who can write the million dollar checks to keep, right. you know, the organization that you're running, you know, up, up and afloat. Like if Harry Belafonte, you know, plays such a crucial role in keeping the SELC um, mm. up and afloat during the 60s, as many other Jackie Robinson, as many other you right. know, who were means at that time. And so that's sort of like how I approach that show. And, you know, it's, it's been cool. It's been cool to have it. It's been cool Definitely. to have the platform, be able to have the conversations. Yeah. I want to, I want to go back. We, we, we got to go back to the music. We got to yeah. go back to the music. You talked about revival. You talked about how you doing this powerful rendition of Sunday, bloody Sunday, just propelled you into this new stratosphere. You know, any new shows coming up that we should know about any tours or it's in the making because yeah. you know when you were here last week christine and i we were dead set on it we talked about it after you left like we have to go support you wherever you are just so we don't want to be that supporter from afar we need to show our solidarity for our, our brother wherever you perform we want to show up man and uh we're just so so thrilled that you're in this position and you know to for you it only happens to, for you right it's like you're one of those people that are, are extremely intelligent extremely motivated and to have this moment here, I feel like my little brother, I'm, I'm walking through it with you. You know, it puts a yeah. smile on my face to see you doing well. So what's next for you in terms of from a music standpoint? Yeah, I feel I feel that pride. I felt it when I was at y'all house and I'm just grateful to have y'all in my life as well. Uh, just all the stages of my life. Uh, and so there are some com coming up. So I have one October 1st. Actually, I okay. am honoring Tommy Smith at his annual okay. game on October okay. in Atlanta. I don't even know if that, I, I think they're like from the start promoting that. <laughs> Got it. But on October 1st, because right now I'm very deep in like finishing this album. Like I'm very, right. very like deep in it because I have just been like going, going, going. I, you so know, when, when can we expect it? When, when does that, when you finish it from, and I don't know the music business, from yeah, the time yeah. you finish doing what you're doing, it has to go through different channels, I would imagine, before it actually gets published. Uh, to the public, like what 
Yeah, I have set September. I have I have set my deadline because I've been working on it. So it's now it's just like, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the intentional focus. I mean, you know, as you know, when the season's about to start, like, you know, you're, you can party a little bit in the summer, but you know, you got <laughs> right. to go into training. You got to go to camp <laughs> right. right now. So, so, speaking, right now. so speaking of training, what type of have you adopted this new, you know, kind of workout routine now yeah. in terms of vocals and eating right or, or yeah, watching what oh, you man. drank? Like what has that looked like since you dove deep into this music, uh, music space? All of that. So, uh, so definitely just physical stamina, exercise, all those things. Singing on the treadmill, those uh, things, on the. It's like just really uh, stressing my, uh, stressing my uh, exercising my instrument. Um, right. Vocal coach is is super important because although you any great singer, you know the idea of, for sustainability and breath. And all of those things, techniques. When you, if you have to sing with a little scratch, scratch in your throat, like what does that look like? Things like that, because oh, it's wow. getting up in church singing. You know what I mean? Oh, I didn't even think about that. There's a whole thing like that. Like you know, how do you sing your same song but sing it at a note under if you need to, or et cetera, All those type of things. So vocal coach. Um, I, I, you know, I don't do any uh, do any smoking anymore, so I had to put the weed. Down. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry about this interference over here. They, they spotted I had to put the had to put the weed down. But then when I'm, <laughs> when I'm in practice, you know, or when I'm in camp, as I as for a familiar term, when I'm in camp, it's like you know, uh, no alcohol, you know, gallon of water a day, uh, t uh, a ginger honey tea in the morning. Yeah. Ginger honey tea before I go to bed. Sleep with the humidifier. Sleep with my air condition off. No, wow. All of those type of things because it it is an instrument and it's something that you have to really, really work to take care. Of. Watch what you eat. So like, so it sounds I'm, like a lifestyle, new lifestyle. Yeah, so that's not like so I'm a vegetarian probably over the next. I'm practicing it now, but I'll be doing it over the, probably the next two months. Um, and things and things like that. Eating hydrate, eating hydrating fruits. So like pineapple. Mm -hmm. Watermelon, watermelon like yeah. that, like stuff like that. So those are like, those are part of the practice. So I'm very much so in camp right now because I'm really, okay. really like focused, finishing the album. Yeah. October, I have that show on October first, and yeah. there may be a which I can't talk about, but there may be a special yeah. thing happening also in early October that crosses. Right. Uh, okay. And I actually may be coming to DC in October too. So okay, okay. Yeah. So those are the uh, so October may be a maybe a cool. Cool little month. But October first is a for sure day, but you know we're working on some other things. October very then like like I said, like I had just came off of Essence. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I had another show right before then. I'm forgetting, but just finished mm -hmm. Essence Fest. Did something right before that. So I just feel like I've been going, 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 and uh, I just yeah. Um, and yeah. So now I'm in very much focus mode because it's like, you know, you don't want to be on stage singing other people's songs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh yeah, no, yeah, so. no, that that's I me. Mean, I've always wondered what went into. I've had, I've you know had other guests on that were you know artists that they were more so rappers, and now you have a singer. And I was always curious about what it actually looked like because I'm being a former professional athlete. I know you just don't wake up and you become this big talent. You have to actually work at it yeah. and change your lifestyle and do all these things necessary in, in order for you to perform in front of thousands of people 
and the uh, discipline, as you know, I mean, yeah. you taught me even some of our early conversations, like the discipline. And that's really what it is, is mm-hmm. the discipline to the discipline to honor the gift God gave you. Yes, absolutely. Well said. Well yeah. said. Is there is there any producer, anyone that you feel like that's in the business right now that would be a perfect marriage for your sound and what you're trying to convey to your audience? Yeah, no, I like they're they're incredible. I feel like I know you have a vision board somewhere. Yeah, oh, they're incredible dreams. They're incredible <laughs> dream, uh, dream collabs and dream opportunities. But what I'll say for where I am right now, uh, my brother Zach Seekoff, who is this young, incredible talent, uh, who had known me since the beginning of this journey and it's a little bit younger than me, but we're in this marriage right now that it couldn't be anybody but him. And, and I say that because it's interesting because there will be a time when everybody will knock down your door. I, I actually have this thing, like people want you to follow your dreams until you actually follow them. <laughs> right, uh, right. And so uh, <laughs> for somebody who is not only as talented, but well-respected and as brilliant as Zachy is uh, and just literally insanely brilliant and so yeah. well-respected and but and the people he's he's worked with um, and and is currently working with, um, you know, for him, I'm, I'm grateful to him. Grateful yeah. to him for the time he is giving me, and 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 the and the belief, and the partnership, and the collaboration that he has agreed to on this journey. And it's just like he's in, and and, and and I honor him in that way because again, it feels the same way when John said yes to me on the phone. Yes, yes. And, and, and I'm a I'm a loyal ass motherfucker, <laughs> and, and and uh I am very loyal to and just grateful to what he's pouring into me, and and because he knows me, he knows what I'm trying to do. He know and he he knows me and he respects me, and he respects right. my sound. He sees my sound. He knows where my sound, the places that it should where it should be. Right. Um, and he is working his ass off with me and in the transfer right now. So it's like he's the he's the one. Now, if I have something like a a person now, now I can give you uh, a board of like, <laughs> you know, somebody who I always think about like moments like when I'm on stage and if I can just bring somebody on stage, people on stage with me. Right. Right. And and this gonna sound crazy, <laughs> but like you know, speak it up, speak it into an existence. Like, Fantasia is my. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could definitely see you in Fantasia. If, yeah. like, if I had, like, if Fantasia, if I could, could bring Fantasia up on stage with me, a Leandria yeah. Johnson, you know, <laughs> I could I definitely see Watching Pat LaBelle live on uh, Pat LaBelle live at the Essence, at the, at Essence Festival, and like, fucking legend. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, like, if I was the Avertel, like, Oh man, Miss Patty, I got this song. Like, uh, I want you to like. It's gonna happen. It's gonna because happen. My thing is, my thing is, D, is that like I think where 
I think one of the things that I think is so different about me than, you know, what's out there, what I'm seeing is that I am um, massaging people's yearn for nostalgia. And for, we we hear songs like, oh, that remind me of, or I wish people still made. And I'm fulfilling a lot of those wishes through my music. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think I'm gonna take this time to plug the show really quick. Listen, if you enjoy this conversation between Dion and myself, please go like and subscribe to Athletes Unplugged and go follow Dion on Instagram and Twitter at Dion T. Jones on Instagram and Twitter. Now, my next question to you is, what do you think about the state of music where it, where it is now? Because now you have this, you you have these, these artists that's breaking through these different genres. You can't put anything in these these little boxes that we used to before, hip hop, rap, you have so many different diverse sounds. And I'm one of those people, if it sounds good up here, I'll give it a chance. Mm -hmm. If you ask me, what do I listen to? I give anything a chance. So I guess that from an artist standpoint, what do you, do you feel like now is, is a better opportunity for someone like yourself and other artists, up and coming artists to flourish and be, and feel confident in the sound they're producing and to generate these different audiences? Yeah, no. So, um, so three, three quick thoughts about that. So, one, you know, I do obviously um, the industry changes every day, and it's definitely evolved since since what it used to be, et cetera. Uh, And I I think people are finding uh, their their. I think artists are becoming more fearless in tapping into other areas that they've always wanted to tap into, but didn't think they would be successful in doing it. it. That's one. I think that's happening. I think the second thing that's happening is we live in a time where you can build your own audience. So Mm. through social media, through TikTok, through all these platforms, uh, through a lot of the services um, where you can put your music places, you can build your audience, right? So you don't really need the labels in a major way anymore to help you do that. Uh, for some folks, they don't, a lot of the older artists, you know, it's sort of just not for them, but you know, uh, that's that's another way that I think that is, that's allowing folks to really just do what they want to do and right. see what sticks. And I think the third thing is, you know, I think that what's also happening is I think people are when it comes to whether people want to be a producer, a band member, a singer, be all three, mm-hmm. you know, I think that again, you can, because of technology, you can learn so much and you realize that you can do a lot of the stuff yourself. Right. Uh, like, and, and I also am a person who's learning it all as well, but I also know where my focus needs to be. I think that's right. really important. You also probably know that as a player where you can probably yeah. play a lot of different positions, but you know where your focus needs to be. So I so I know where my focus needs to be. But you know, I think, you know, I'm really one of those crazy motherfuckers who believe that I can really do anything that I put my mind to. Yeah. I think yeah. you have to be crazy and a little bit delusional. Yeah, and we, we talked about this yeah. when you were here. It's like you have to be wired. Different. Yeah, you have to be at the fit to say like, oh, I can be, I can produce my music, I can compose my music, 
I can direct my band. I can sing my own songs. Like Prince played every instrument on the song before and produced it and directed the band and sang it and mixed it and engineered it. Wow. That nigga had to be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I think I think there are many people, you know, I think there are many people, you know, out there who are who are who are like that and who are brilliant like that. And I am just grateful and always and thankful to God that people are saying yes to me because that's the difference between me and somebody who's just as talented, who is still writing down they should have cut it with us. (laughs) Yes. Ralph said in uh in uh, Sister Act Two, right down there, should have come in their uh, one bedroom, one bedroom apartment. Yeah, I, I think that's why you see this huge relationship between pro athletes and entertainers, because yeah. there's a level of commit, there's a level of language between the two of us mm-hmm. that we understand the dedication it takes to change your lifestyle mm-hmm. and to completely disarm yourself and do something. Yeah, everyone's telling you around you, you can't, you have no business doing. Yeah. You know, being, you know, being true to yourself. And I think that's I think one of the instances of athletes and entertainers kind of gelling together. But let me ask you this last before I get you out here. Is there anything you want to share that I didn't bring up that I missed? Yes, I actually will share it. It's um, it's this thing that Oprah wrote in essence. I'm actually pulling that right now. She wrote this in in 19. 89 and i forgot i forgot about that you actually worked <laughs> with oprah i forgot yeah, the queen the queen is um <laughs> the queen is definitely a big <laughs> in my life uh, and i'm really grateful for her um but she wrote this thing in essence in june 1989 and uh, i actually just read this on Sunday. I found it Sunday because I was over at a friend's house and she uh-huh. had this essence sort of coffee table book. And I saw so looking through it. Yeah. These quotes from women. And Oprah said that I think ultimately it's a question of focus, of understanding who I am and of you understanding who you are and what we're each here to do. We will falter unless we know our purpose clearly. My purpose, her purpose, is to do my show every day and to raise the consciousness of my people. Mm. My aim is to help people come to know themselves better as I get to know myself better. I am also convinced that the difference between how I handle my life and how some other people handle theirs is that I just don't pray. I truly heed the response I am given. Maya Angelou told me a while back that she thought one of my greatest assets is my ability to be obedient to the voice of God within me. And I think she's right. Now I can really feel the wind beneath my wings and I'm ready to fly. That's it, bro. We can end right. We can end on that. That is well said. We have to end on that. Dion, I appreciate your time and your perspective. Yeah, and, and that's how I feel right now. That's exactly how I feel. Right yes, now. yes. I again, I I'm always here. Anytime you want to stop by, I'm here. Anytime you need a someone to call, I'm here. Again, thank you for your time, your perspective, and listen. If you enjoyed what you heard, you want to hear future and past recordings, please go follow Athletes Unplugged and go follow this man. 
at Dion T. Jones. If you don't know, oh, you better know. You better know the guy's making making headway in this musical space. So I salute you, my brother. Thank you Thank again. You, brother. Love you, man.